1: And Welcome back to Life Out Loud, a literary nonfiction podcast through which we tell true, maybe all too true, stories. I'm Kira, one of your hosts tonight.
2: And I'm Karen, happy to be here with you all tonight. I'm Leisha. Thank you for joining us tonight on the third episode of our sixth season, entitled Winner, Winner.
3: And I'm Sophia. In this episode, two authors invite us into the background behind two very different competitions, And their efforts at victories big and small. And I'm Danielle. Now, let's get into the first story of the
4: night. This first story is by a new author to the podcast, Bilal Kaiser. Bilal Kaiser is a 24-year-old
0: Pakistani-American freshman at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, majoring in computer science. He was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, but has lived in almost all five boroughs. In his free time, he likes to build models, play video games, and tinker with electronics. Bilal hopes to one day work in the R&D department of one of the big tech conglomerates, finally satisfying his curiosity and putting it into work,
3: designing new products for
0: consumer use.
3: Let's take a listen to Bilal's story entitled Eureka.
5: It was a cold autumn morning. I stood in the marble-tiled lobby, crammed with swaths of people and numerous displays. Three-fold cardboard cutouts lined each table. Nervous students stood hushed, awkwardly fumbling through their presentations on command. They feared a failing grade, and the summer school that came with it. So did I. I gulped as I watched the arbiters pass from display to display. The ninth-grade science fair was underway, and I was waiting waiting for my chance to show the world, to show all the people in the school, that I was worth something, that my abilities were worth being praised. Up until now, I was just a dopey crippled kid, the one who walked funny down the hallway, the one all the students mimicked as I traveled between classes, pretty much the joke of the whole school, and without nary a friend. At some point, no matter how thick your skin is, it starts to bear down on you, it pisses you off in ways you couldn't imagine, just making you wish there was a way out from your miserable existence. When the science fair arrived, I thought maybe, just maybe, this could be my chance to get some respect. Two elderly judges passed from one display to the next, judging each project in silence, with the same dead look on their faces, not a twitch nor a smile, as they moved along. As they continued to move from project to project, I anxiously anticipated my chance to wow them, to change the icy expression on their faces, to break their almost mechanical facade. But as time wore on, my excitement and confidence began to crumble. What if my project isn't good? What if it isn't even good enough to fulfill my science requirement? Paralyzing anxiety gripped me. I had built this behemoth of a project in ten weeks, some days even going without sleep just to finish working out the bugs in the programming. Hell, I'd even gone as far as to buy a $200 TV and components just for this project. Even while building this project, I was mentally kicking myself. To spend so much on a single project was not only foolish, but if it didn't work out, I'd be out $200 plus and fail. As things were, that wasn't an option. At the time, my family was in quite dire straits financially. All three of us lived in a dingy one-bedroom apartment in East Harlem. A home adorned with only a single dimly lit bulb illuminating our decaying walls. Mousetraps and dust littered our wooden floors. Decayed and wrought by time, in this cramped hobble resided my mother, sister, and I. We lived paycheck to paycheck, and as things were, we could barely afford to make ends meet. My mother was taking job training courses at the time. These courses gave her a stipend, and along with government aid, We did the best we could, but it was at times, barely enough. Why did I think I should spend so much on this project? What was I honestly thinking? When the science fair assignment came around, my mother generously offered to give me the money to build my project. Everything will be fine. Just take the money and finish your project. It will all work out, she said. Even with that reassurance, I felt it wouldn't. We already lived on such a tight budget that any overspending would leave us with barely enough to survive. And yet, nothing happened, nothing changed. How had such a big expense have no impact at all. It was only later that I learned my mother had pawned her gold armbands to get me the money. The solid gold armbands that her mother had given her for her wedding day. The armbands that she treasured so much that she kept them wrapped up inside a box in her closet. Those armbands were part of my mother's dowry and a gift from her mother. My mother treasured them deeply, because even though my grandmother was far away in Pakistan and they hadn't seen each other in over a decade, those armbands helped my mother feel close, connected to her mother. She sacrificed those armbands to make my dream come true. My mother was willing to move mountains to guarantee my success, even at the cost of what she most treasured. She tried to hide it from us, but I saw. I was moved beyond words at my mother's sacrifice. She truly believed in me. Her faith had helped to strengthen my resolve, encouraged me to put my all into this project. It didn't matter how hard I had to work, I would make sure that my mother's sacrifice was not in vain. To these ends, I taught myself javascript via online tutorials and used the components I purchased to build a functional credit card sized micro PC that could run Minecraft. As I stood in that lobby, I should have felt proud. Proud of my own work, proud of my mother's sacrifice, that she was willing to put so much faith in me proud that I would come so far, yet all I could feel was doubt, because my mother had put so much faith in me, because she had sacrificed so much for me. I doubted myself because I felt I was incapable, that I was undeserving of such faith. Maybe I felt this way because of the struggles that I've had to overcome. Being poor, you don't really have many resources, and so you have to make do with what you have. Most times, it's not enough, and you end up having to work twice as hard as others to make up the difference. Seeing others succeed so easily when I had to struggle so much to get the same result over time must have taken its toll on me. I was starting to feel jaded and like maybe this was all for nothing. Did I even care what those judges had to say? In an article entitled Effects of Poverty, Hunger, and Homelessness on Children and Youth, the author discusses the impact of poverty on youth, one being psychological, saying that children in poverty may develop emotional issues that include feelings of anxiety, depression, and low self-esteem. Maybe that's why my mother did all that she did, because she noticed how great a toll our situation had on me over the years, the crippling depression just eating away at me, wearing down on me even as I succeeded. I guess she just wanted, for once, to give me a chance to feel like I was no less than anyone else, and the opportunity to prove it. Regardless, in that moment, as I stood in the lobby mulling over my own existential crisis, the judges descended upon my display, It was too late to pack up, to give up, to run. I just had to stand there and wait. And then, as each judge took their place to pass judgment on me, I saw their eyes light up. Then, smiles slowly formed on their faces. Huh? I thought. Quickly, their cold expressions began to brighten as they viewed the demo reel on my monitor. They began to ask questions review my research, even take a shot at playing the game. Gone were the cold demeanors. They were honestly enjoying themselves. They asked me about how I programmed the display and set up the terminal and were honestly quite shocked when I told them I had bought a TV just for the project. As they began to leave, one of the judges, a tall, aged gentleman with an illustrious beard, came to congratulate me. Out of this entire science fair, Your display was the most engaging and informative display we've seen all day. Congratulations, he said. Congratulations? For what? I asked. He responded, Well, you're one of the last for the day, and we've decided on a winner. It didn't take me long to put it together, but I still couldn't believe it. It was me. I was. The winner for once. I was ecstatic. At that moment, I felt validated. All my mother's sacrifices— and my hard work had finally paid off. I, Bilal Kaiser, had won the ninth grade science fair and I was worth believing in.
4: Wow, what a story. It was really touching and so satisfying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: The ending was like absolutely perfect. I I loved the way it ended. Yeah. Thank you for being here Bilal. And I wanna jump right into it. Um, For me, hearing about what went on behind the scenes of this project was really eye-opening. I mean, just hearing about how you had to juggle like these huge issues like poverty and bullying, and then you're also trying to complete this like super complicated tech project. I mean, all of that is a testament to you as a person and to your strength. But at the same time, you didn't face any of that alone because you have this angel of a mother Um, I was really touched by her sacrifice to you, how she sold those wedding day armbands, I mean, to give you that opportunity. So I'm wondering, since your mom was such like an important part of all this, what was her reaction to the final project? And then how did she react to the news that you won the science fair?
5: My mother is not very tech literate, but, you know, even she could understand how big of an undertaking it was since, you uh, know, I was working on this project for like weeks and weeks on end. Mm-hmm. I stayed up multiple nights, like under that dimly lit light bulb, yes. just uh, trying to get it to work because I ran into so many uh, dead ends and error messages. And I was close to banging, I actually did bang my head on the keyboard multiple times. (laughs) Um, And this was like the end of the year. So I had a lot of like, this is during the uh, SAT, like my family, the PSAT prep. Mm -hmm. So I was like really, you know, bogged down for time. And Mm -hmm. I was juggling all of this at once. It was really overwhelming. And I was just losing my mind because no matter you know how much I worked on it, I felt like I was getting nowhere. And then one day it just hit me and I got it done like how to get it to work and everything just clicked um but my mom she was surprised that it like you know that that it came into being and it started working and she was glad that it did um but that was it you know she she emotes more so like with personal moments but with like work and stuff she knows that I'm gonna get it done and that that, you know she has a sort of um what do you call it trust in me that that I'll get it done so it's Mm -hmm. not really surprising for her She's just glad that it worked out and that everything went as planned. Yes, she um she was happy that I won, but the prize for the science fair after like everything, because normally you'd expect for a science fair for them to actually, you know, put effort into what they give. Um, I won $65. That's it.
4: Oh, Oh, wow. (laughs) That's interesting but I guess the satisfaction was like the actual winning right
5: yeah the actual winning it was just that the winning was bogged down after you won <laughs> and they're like the award ceremony I was like and it was such a big lead-up because they forced everyone in the school into the auditorium and they said oh. you all have to attend so I thought it was gonna be some big prize and the moment <laughs> they called my name and it was like I was like wow what did I win And like oh they, they had me walk up and in front of the state the the auditorium um stage and like oh below has won this $65 target card and my face dropped internally I couldn't let that you know break that but I was I was like for all that work $65
3: okay okay follow-up question though what did you get with the $65 that you won that's a good question
5: honestly I don't even remember was, I don't know it was probably groceries more than likely it was groceries uh, or something yeah. because uh I didn't really want anything I was just pissed off and I wanted to get rid of the target price that memory of $65. <laughs>
1: you gotcha. didn't do it for the money. I,
5: I, I didn't but you you still expect like you know because every time they show science fairs and media and like other mm-hmm. schools in the city they're like the school's like at least 100 bucks like 65 is like cutting short to a point where like it's like sort of insulting.
4: <laughs> <laughs> okay okay I respect that I would have been mad too.
1: Well, moving on from the struggle of the $65 prize, you know, you also do a good job of showing us your positionality in this piece. You know, you described your struggles that you faced both in school and at home being, quote, the dopey, crippled kid living in a dingy apartment. And I thought it was impactful that you brought in data about kids in impoverished families. Like, it made it clear. Um, that the psychological struggles that you encountered are a part of a larger trend that's that's supported by the data. So because of your story, we have this like intimate insight into your worldview. And we also know that there are others out there who face the same challenges that you do. So now that you're a little bit older and in college, do you have like any wisdom or any advice for other self-doubters who may be struggling because of their background?
5: I would honestly say... um... There's no real obstacle that can stop you. I mean, if you look at my story, I came from a poverty, you know, I came from poverty and I'm still, you know, still rising from it to a degree. Um, But, you know, I didn't let it stop me. Even my school wasn't very good with the education. I got bullied constantly. But it's like, if you put your mind to it, you sort of have to, you know, I I know it's difficult. Um, Psychologically, you really have to, you take it takes a lot of growing because when I was in that position I had to grow up really fast I had to not think like I didn't get to have a you know like a teenage fun time and enjoy myself or anything um because I've been there in that situation since I was like 13 12 13 so yeah I I didn't get to enjoy anything so I had to really put my survival instincts you know, into play and sort of had to put my own to the work because I knew that, you know, in that situation, you just think about your work and surviving. So mm-hmm. nothing else has to matter. And that's how you have to think. But my example, my story being an example, um, it shows that, you know, not, you can't let anything stop you. If you have the drive and determination to like, um, to reach a goal, you'll reach that goal. You just have to put the work in and you just have to, like, you know, focus on that one goal as a singularity ahead of you.
1: Yeah, it was really inspiring, actually. Yeah. And Bilal, with those really inspiring and touching words that I might just end up putting on my Instagram after this, uh, we wanted to thank you for being here and sharing your story with
5: us.
3: Thank you thank for you having so me. Much, Bilal. Thank you so much, Bilal.
5: Thank you for having me here. I'm really thank grateful you. for this opportunity to be here.
0: This next story is by a returning author to the podcast who's been hosting with us all season, Leah Persrom.
1: Leah Persrom is a Queens native. She grew up in Richmond Hill and was raised by avid readers whose passions and interests influenced her own passion for writing. She's currently a senior at John Jay College with a major in English and a minor in creative writing. In her free time, Leah enjoys spending time outdoors, enjoying life, and finding inspiration for her writing. She looks forward to her future, where she hopes she'll be exploring new cultures and traveling the world, sharing her journey through her words. She was also recently selected to serve as a research assistant on a project rooted in decolonizing elementary school slavery content.
4: Let's take a listen to Leah's piece, entitled Laundry Room Wars. I drag one of my laundry bags down the vomit green carpet with the other slung over my shoulder. It bounces with every step, but I drudge on. One bag is filled with, like, mismatched socks, oversized tees, and ripped jeans. The other is filled with my blankets, sheets, pillowcases, and everything in between. Doing laundry midsummer is a breeze. Both laundry bags are carried over my shoulder, but midwinter mm, is a different story. They're overstuffed with my tiger kobe hats and chunky knit sweaters, and one bag is always dragging behind me. At the end of the haul, I drag the bag down three steps and hear the consecutive plops behind me. The lobby floor is tiled, so at least one of the bags will glide with ease as I walk towards the elevator. I readjust the forgotten black tote bag that's hung on my arm. It holds the tide in the downy. An empty elevator greets me. I enter halfway and push LR with my knee. The rear door opens and I hurriedly waddle through with my bag jumping behind me. At the ground level, the white door is unlocked and slightly ajar. I push the door open with my head taking a peek in. My holy grail is an empty laundry room with no one in sight. On those days, I text my aunt to tell her our prayers have been answered. It's a rare sight though, and it never lasts for long. Someone always comes out of the elevator with a laundry bag or like a basket in hand Ruining your chances of finishing your laundry in only an hour. 114 apartments to 7 washers and 5 dryers? It's horrendous. The washers aren't even really a problem. Those free up quickly. It's the dryer. My neighbors will quite literally put their clothes on a quick wash cycle, only 22 minutes long. But then they put their clothes to dry for 2 hours. Fully aware that there are two other people washing clothes who will need dryers too. And the worst part is, it's almost impossible to avoid them because the laundry room isn't open for 24 hours, only 7am to 11pm. That's 16 hours and it only feels like 4 between all the homework, the babysitting, the errand running that I have to do for my grandmother and my aunt, not to mention all the extra shifts I pick up because, you know, a little more cash never hurt, but... Maybe if I work enough extra hours, I can just buy my own washer and dryer. That way, my dream of finding the perfect time to do laundry will become a reality. You might think to yourself, oh, I'll wake up at 6.30 a.m., get everything ready, and do laundry as soon as it opens, bright and early. That'll work. But you'll be wrong. I found out the hard way that you'll have to fight with the old people. And let me tell you, Most of the old people in this building, not all, there are some nice seniors of course, but most of them are the type who feel entitled to absolutely everything and will be in the laundry room exactly when the clock changes to seven o'clock a.m. My aunt and I have a blacklist of people who are not, absolutely not considered at all when it comes to sharing the dryers. And the top three worst all happen to be women. First, there's a mother in apartment 2S. She's a short, broad woman with stick-straight black hair that keeps it tucked up in a bun. Her laundry days are Thursdays or Saturdays, um, usually in the afternoon. I'm occupied with school on Thursdays, so I might see her on a Saturday. But 2S is loud. I always hear her before I see her. But then her 8-year-old daughter is the exact opposite. She's quiet. I never know when she's around. The mother, though, is a great conversationalist, but that's her tactic. She'll start a casual conversation asking you about a minute detail in your life. As you concentrate on trying to explain to her that, yes, you are the super's niece, but you don't get any perks, you notice her filling all the dryers with her clothes until she says bye, leaving you dryerless with a basket full of wet clothes. Then there's 3A. She does laundry in the afternoons on Monday or Wednesday. Thankfully, I'm at work during this time. Sometimes, I'll see her if my shift ends early, but that doesn't happen too often. 3A is a prim lady. She keeps a tidy appearance, nicely dressed, nails manicured, teeth whitened, every strand of her brown hair perfectly in place, and large dilated pupils no matter the lighting. You won't ever actually see her put her clothes to dry. Her tactic is avoidance. We think she might be locking the door behind her so no one else can get in. You may see her in passing on your way to take your clothes out of the washer, or maybe even in the elevator. And she knows very well that you'll need dryers too, but that won't stop her. If eye contact is made, she'll flash a bright smile and say, have a good day, which translates to, too bad, I've ruined your day entirely. You have no dryers. But worst of them all is 5B. She moved in about a year ago, a couple months after I did. So I try to cut her some slack, but her self-righteous nature makes it so difficult. She doesn't know the laundry room etiquette quite yet. Five B does her laundry on either Monday mornings, Wednesday afternoons, and sometimes on Thursday evenings. Unfortunately for me, I couldn't completely avoid her. I would always end up doing laundry with her on Monday mornings before my eleven forty-five a.m. shift at the Hall of Science. Now, Five B is a small Dominican lady with exaggerated proportions. I'm under the impression she believes she's a Kardashian. She's so filled with plastic that they'll probably have to recycle her when she dies. 5B, she doesn't have a tactic, just entitlement. She'll look you straight in the face while putting a couple pieces of clothes in each dryer, and she's the type that will argue with you if you even try to take a dryer, despite the fact that she already has taken up four or five of her own. Today, though... The gray concrete floors are spotless, and from what I can see, a couple washers look empty. I only hear a few washers running, and surprisingly, there's no one around yet. I find two empty side-by-side washing machines and begin to load in my laundry. I shut the door and select my wash cycle. I can feel it in my bones. Today has got to be the day. It's looking like the perfect day and time for me to do laundry without anyone shoving their entitlement down my throat or distracting me with questions to fulfill their ulterior motives. Dryer stealing. I insert the plastic card and pour in the detergent. The blue liquid turns into suds and fills the circular window. Brimming with glee, I send my aunt a text saying, The laundry room is empty. You should bring all your clothes too. But then I followed up with a disappointed nevermind. I make a mental note that Tuesday mornings around brunch time isn't a good time. I really thought today was going to be the perfect laundry day, but will I ever live to see that they come? Thankfully, none of the worst three walk in, but my neighbors from 1B do. They're an odd older couple. They usually do laundry on Tuesdays or Saturdays, but mostly Saturdays. I'll see them time to time when i'm not out with luciano they look like the generic older couple you see in a diner the husband is lanky with a close-cropped white beard and wire-framed glasses it might be because he's bald but he reminds me of a tall master roshi the wife she's slim with sagging skin and silvered short hair they quite literally do everything together i've never seen them without one another at first i thought it was sweet Until I saw them go into the bathroom and the laundry room together. And it's not like the bathroom has like multiple stalls either. It's just one toilet with a small sink. No mirror. They're an eccentric couple, but at least they're considerate and share dryers. I would say I'm considerate when it comes to dryers, but definitely not washers. I'm not the type to take clothes out, but if I see someone down the hall carrying a laundry bag and detergent en route to the machines, I hope they forgot something or that their laundry bag rips. Anything to let me get closer to an empty laundry room. Uh, I wouldn't be an old person down for a washer. but A middle-aged person? Mm, I might consider it. I set the timer on my phone to 27 minutes so that I can come back just in time to take my clothes out the washer and then head back to the apartment to finish up some last-minute homework. I used to read in the laundry room while waiting for my clothes to finish washing. There's a worn wooden bench in the corner of the beige room. But sometimes there's an older lady from the fifth floor, the one who always wears a frog hat and smells like urine. She comes to sit on the bench even when she's not washing clothes. During my first encounter with her, I had mistook her for a bum. It was a Monday evening, the laundry room was relatively busy, but it cleared out within a matter of minutes when she entered. At the time, I was putting my clothes in the dryer, so I couldn't escape like everyone else. But I learned from that moment to never go in when she's in there. She sat on the bench, man-spreading. I quickly started my dryer and cleared out. I didn't need to be a detective to put together what just happened. I called the super, describing the situation and the lady, and that I thought she'd urinated in the laundry room. He told me she also lived in the building and that I was lucky I'd only recently encountered her. So yeah, there's a black list of people I refuse to do laundry with because of dryers, but there's also a list of people I just tend to avoid. For example, there's a petite lady with red, unruly curls from 4F who always does her laundry on weekday mornings. I'm unsure of her profession, but she practices ballet while she loads, pours soap, folds, you name it. I don't know why, but I just avoid her too. And then there's 4M, who reminds me of a lumberjack because of his burly build. He does his laundry on Monday and Tuesday nights. I avoid him because he sings terribly. I admire his confidence, but... My AirPods can't block out the off-key acapella singing of Hey Soul Sister by Train. Nice taste of music though. One day though, I couldn't help but suddenly wonder, does anyone avoid me when they do laundry? I don't sing loudly or do ballet or smell bad, but I do talk to myself aloud. And unfortunately... It is audible. In fact, a few of my neighbors on occasions have asked me, what did you say? To see if I was speaking to them. I'd always lie and say, oh no, sorry, I'm on the phone. The first and last time I had admitted to talking to myself was to the blue-eyed psychiatrist in 2C. It was a poor decision on my part, but I feel like she'd know a lie. That day, her icy icy blue eyes pierced through my soul seeking for the truth so I told her and she told me I must be a lonely person that I should find a companion frankly I'd come in to do my laundry not get called out so I added her to my list of people to avoid I guess no more doing laundry on Sunday afternoons either. The time options are getting fewer and further between. Maybe I'll just ask for a washer and dryer this Christmas since the perfect laundry time just doesn't seem to exist. (sighs) My timer goes off. I return to the laundry room and am greeted with the sight of the frog hat lady, 5M, on the bench. I act as if I don't see her or smell her and quickly transfer my clothes from the washer to the dryer. I catch a glimpse of my reflection in the dryer door on my way out. All I see are tired eyes as I tell Siri to set a timer for 30 minutes while I carry the wet clothes that I air dry back to the apartment. I sighed to myself. I'll figure out a time that works. Yeah, I'll, I'll try again next week, early Monday morning, or maybe Thursday morning. And then, finally, I find it. The perfect day and time. Thursday mornings, 9.30 a.m. The laundry room isn't filled with any hustle or bustle on those mornings. It's just me and the tall Puerto Rican businessman from 3G. Despite being older, he's physically fit with a smile that belongs on a GQ cover. He's also kind and considerate, using only two washers and two dryers, one for his clothes and another washer for his dog's toys and blankets. Same with the dryers. He's definitely on my white list. We don't talk much. Just a brief morning. Good to see you. Sometimes he'll ask how I'm doing. Sometimes I'll ask him. But we prefer the humming of the washers. If he hears me talking to myself, he politely pretends he doesn't. The perfect laundry room etiquette. Though it isn't a holy grail of solitude, you know what? It's good enough for me.
2: Wow. This is such a beautiful story. It just like, it draws you in. So with that being said, your story is so light, humorous. Like when you see the burly lumberjack who sings, Hey Soul Sister, strange older couple Mm -hmm. who uses the bathroom together. And visual as it takes us into your world of observations, you craft the details of your story through descriptions of the people who live in your building. Why did you decide to frame the story through these descriptions of the lives of other people?
4: It's a really good question, but I think it's just because of how I see everything, especially like with how I see people. Because um, I remember I was talking to Professor Madrazo because I was in one of her writing courses, and I was like, oh, I want to tell this story because we were in the pandemic, and I was seeing these people like all the time, and they mm-hmm. became like the highlight of every day for me. Oh, so I became so like hyper focused on them. That they became like characters. That's exactly like I wanted you to get that feel, like in the writing descriptions.
3: Oh, caricatures! Yes, thank yeah. you. Mm. Yeah,
0: you definitely feel that. It's just like personality, personality, and personality. You know, it's like the their their essence, like rolled it to, into like a few sentences. It's it, I love it. It definitely feels like cartoons, actually. When you thank when you. you're saying that,
4: it feels like I'm watching something. Thank you. I feel like my goal has been achieved. To me, it really came off like a sitcom. That being said, laundry seems like such a benign topic to write about, yet you brought it to life. What inspired you to write such a colorful story of fighting a laundry war? And do you think the other people in the building see the laundry room as almost a war zone like you do? I don't, maybe it's just like the way I think. Look, I'm a a little bit of a weird person. um, (laughs) We love it. Thank you. And I don't know, like, laundry for me is like something I absolutely like hate because Mm -hmm. it takes up so much of my day so like when I go do laundry I'm just like oh I'm gonna go in there I'm gonna get it done and then I'm gonna leave and then that's it so like I go in there like super like goal-oriented and I feel like maybe the moms of the building feel the same way like they want to go in get out take care of their kids don't talk to anybody but I don't know yeah I don't know it was just like because this became like my everyday thing where like only way for me to really get out of the apartment was to do laundry. It it became something like so real and that I did like focus on like a lot and also became like my only form of like social interaction that I had with other people outside of my apartment. So maybe that like goes back into the first question of like why I became like so like detail oriented about their personalities and like really got
3: into them and like got to know them. It's so interesting to have the background of knowing that this was like set during the pandemic. Like I never thought that when I was reading the story. So it's so cool to have that now. Yeah.
4: yeah. We will we do wear masks in our building, but I never thought to incorporate that. It's like so normal now to wear a mask.
2: But I love how you like describe the culture of your laundry room. And that's like something that people don't really talk about because they're just going into the um laundromat or the laundry room just to do their business and leave. But it's like you vividly described everyone's habits when they enter the room or the shared space. And it's interesting how you said you were able to find like a bit of solitude on that specific Thursday in a space that's so chaotic and it just, like, redefines the culture of your laundry room because you can find something good in something that's chaotic.
4: Yeah, I, I really like the way you said that. Something good out of something chaotic. And now, I definitely have to ask,
2: did any of you have a
4: favorite
3: laundry doer in apartment? <laughs> I don't know. My heart's with the lumberjack
1: guy who sings a cappella. He's a sister okay,
3: so. to me. Okay. <laughs>
1: The old couple might be my favorite, but I'm a little bit like, was I the only one who thought something different when she said they went into the bathroom together? Like, I knew they were an older couple, but I didn't, like, my mind didn't go to bathroom usage. I was wondering the whole time. I just want
4: <laughs> to clarify. I, I can clarify it. It is bathroom usage in the bathroom. Good, I, good I think know. maybe it's like for safety reasons in case one of them falls. I oh, don't really okay. know. There's no rail like in the bathroom. It's not like ADA accessible. But um, just to clarify,
1: bathroom <laughs> is for number ones and twos. I'm glad to know. I'm, I'm really glad. Those logistics make sense, but I'll leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> <That, that, that. laughs>
0: One of my personal favorite interactions in your piece is when you admitted to talking to yourself, to oh my the God. blue-eyed physician to see, and you said, her eye, her icy eyes pierced through my soul, seeking for the truth. So I told her, and she told me, I must be a lonely person. I should find a companion. And frankly, I'd, I'd come in to do my laundry, not get called out. And that was just hilarious to me. And it like, makes me wonder like it's one of the first times where I was like oh these are like you're using the 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 apartment name like the apartment numbers for them so it made me wonder about like the name situation that you have with like everyone in the apartment like do the names of the people in your piece uh hold on like do you know the names of the people in your piece and use the apartment numbers like here for privacy's sake or do you think everyone in the building kind of knows each other by those same like odd behaviors and characteristics
4: so it was kind of like a combination of everything i didn't want to just put like full like on blast all these people i live with because i live in forest hills and everybody kind of knows everybody Mm -hmm. so it's like ah maybe i'll just put the apartment numbers so if you know you live inside the space and then you somehow happen to read my story okay then then you'll know mm-hmm. but like I guess that's also like a part of like the culture like oh here comes 5b walking in like did she get another boob job or something mm-hmm. like like you you know like you you know like based on the atmosphere and like the person I guess it's like our own like little niche that we
3: all didn't want to really be a part of but that we are a part of just because we like inhabit the same space okay and Leah finally I just want to ask you. Is there anything you want listeners to take away from your story?
4: Life may seem really boring, but it's not. Life is what you make it. And if you want to be fun, it'll definitely be fun. And there's art in even the laundry room. Oh, for sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) With that, thank you, Leah, again, for sharing another one of your stories with us. um, And for being back on the author side of things, because you've been hosting with us all semester. And yeah, this is a wonderful, like light story, as we said throughout this too, which was
4: very nice, very nice change of face. Thank you guys so much for having me on both sides. I really love being here.
1: That concludes our third episode of the sixth season, Winner, Winner. We're also excited to bring you new stories soon, amplifying these voices from backgrounds you don't normally hear from. You can always find out more at www.lifeoutloudpodcast.com or by searching Life Out Loud Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or YouTube. We also have an Instagram and Facebook if you want to get behind the scenes content. We'd like to thank
0: everyone who helps make this possible, including our sound engineers and editors
2: as well as our episode writers, our website developers, everyone behind the scenes here at Fall Fallout.
3: And to our audience, we hope you love these stories as much as we did. It was a joy to bring them to you. A very special thank you to everyone listening in. We'll see you soon and good night. Good night. Bye. Bye. Bye.